0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org.
1: For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be vers- bursting it with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gold than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. You may be seated. And if you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to, you may go to Children's Church, just meet the volunteers over in this back corner. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mary Lou. Good morning. We're so glad that you're here with us. If this is your first time, my name is Jared. I'm also on staff here at Restoration Southside, and we are so glad that you're here. I'm going to be in the back after the service. If it's your first time here, please do come by and say hello. We love to know our people here, and we want you to know us. So I encourage you to do that. In just a few moments, we're going to dive into Proverbs 3. So if you would like, you can keep the app open. Uh, the scripture's there in the order of worship. But before we do that, I just wanted to uh, kind of catch you up if you've missed an email from me or if um, you weren't here the last couple weeks. But we're a two-year-old church plant. We're two years plus two months. uh, And it has been extremely beautiful and extremely difficult being a church plant. Um, Let me review that for you. Uh, At the beginning, we had difficulty finding rental space. And the rental space we did find didn't work for us, and so we had to get out from under that. That was an initial stressor, and then within six months, we had lost two dear loved ones of our church, and that was extremely sad and heavy. And about three months after that, there was this thing called COVID 19, you might have heard of, and that was very difficult for us. And so, despite all of the difficulties that we've been facing, the Lord has also just been growing us exponentially and being so kind to meet our needs even in difficult places. And so uh, one of the things that has continued to happen is is that uh, we have moved towards becoming our own self-governing church. And that in particular means that um, our committee has voted unanimously that we're ready to be a self-governing church and we'll send that to the presbytery, the larger organization and uh, Hopefully and confidently they will approve that and then we will have an election of our own leaders here uh, in July and then have our own uh, particularization service. The service where we become our own church will happen in early August and so we're grateful for that. Not only is that fast for two years for that to have happened, but uh, the owners of this facility have come to us and said that they would be willing to sell us this facility, the Peyton the suite on broad and the surrounding parking lots and we are looking into that we have a committee that has about five directors in it uh, men and women and an executive director sort of exploring the options of what would it look like for restoration Southside to buy this facility and so we have one of the committees looks at kind of the, the pace the timeline in which we would do these things one of them looks at capital fundraising and whether we can raise those funds one of them works with communication and making sure that we keep you up to date one of them works with um, financing and working with the bank somebody works with construction and helping us figure out um, if we were to move into this facility full time what would that mean Uh, what would we need to do to this facility so we have uh, been working hard at those things and we're going to keep you posted with Uh, how those conversations go ultimately we're all in this together so we just wanted to be transparent and let you know that those conversations are continuing to go on and better than that continuing to move forward and so we'll keep you uh apprised of that in the coming weeks i try not to live my life in the office quotes but i can't help it And when I read this passage, it absolutely reminded me of the scene on the booze cruise. If you don't know the office, Michael Scott is this fumbling office manager, and he decides to take his employees on a training outing, which is a booze cruise, and it's freezing. And he takes the people, but Michael's really upset because The captain of the ship and the captain of the party does not want Michael speaking very much. And so the captain of the party keeps the party going and he's having fun and he's reminding everybody that he's in charge. And Michael keeps getting pushed to the side and Michael hates being pushed to the side. And so at some point, Michael comes forward and there's people from his staff and just other people on the boat. And they come forward. Michael comes forward and says, friends, I have terrible news The boat is going down. This is not a joke. This is not a false alarm. Please get your life jackets. And people on Michael's staff are like, calm down. This is is just him. It's just worthless. The people who are not on Michael's staff are freaking out, and somebody jumps over the boat and goes overboard because they don't know that you don't listen to wisdom from Michael Scott. The reason that I tell you that story is because all of us are in this position, every single person in this room, of who we will listen to regarding wisdom and whether we will obey that wisdom. If Michael Scott is telling you something, you do not have to obey. If God is telling you something, you would be a fool not to. And so today, we look at that together, of what it looks like when God gives wisdom to us Tells us the danger in disobedience, the beauty in obedience, and the result of obedience. So let's pray, and I'll ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you, and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would move powerfully this morning. There are those in this room who know you and who have gone cold, who forget your faithfulness. There are those of you in this room, those of us in this room that don't know you at all and need to be reminded or shown for the first time who you are and what you're really like. Father, there's some of us that are just numb and we don't know what to think or do anymore. We pray that you would wake us up, that you would by grace move towards us that you transform us in our pain and in our sin it's in jesus name that we pray amen i've done several weddings this year last night it was a treat and a privilege to marry justine and william in this uh actually right out there and then we danced the night away in this very room but one of the weddings that i've done this summer was at jekyll island resort and jekyll island resort we went took the whole family, but we didn't book our rooms at the same time, so Aaron was with the littles in one room in one building, and I was with the big three in another room in another building. I don't know who lost out in that. But the night of the rehearsal dinner, late into the night, me and the older three in my room all of a sudden hear this piercing alarm, this overwhelming, like you can't even think straight alarm. And kind of get up, and we're looking for our shoes, and we're covering ourselves with blankies, and we go down, stand outside this building just a few feet away the Jekyll Island Club Resort, and people are pouring out with us, and everybody's sort of in their jammies, and got their glasses on, and bleary and tired, and we all stood out there for about 10 minutes. In fact, one guy came down kind of came outside and saw everybody standing there and just turned back around and walked right back upstairs into the building that's making this blaring alarm. It was fascinating about him and all of us, the entire time this loud alarm is going, not one of us thought there was an actual fire. We're standing right next to the building. We're just eagerly awaiting this moment where we get to go back in and go to sleep. Nobody's like, what if it's real this time, guys? What if it's all going to burn down? The alarm is there to save us, and all we're trying to do is go back to bed. The alarm doesn't get our attention in the way that it should. Or maybe you've been walking in a public's parking lot, and all of a sudden you've heard the panic alarm on somebody's car go off, you know, unlock, lock, and then panic, and you've heard the panic alarm go off, and what's your first instinct when you hear that? somebody stop that noise. You're not like, someone in this parking lot is in danger. They're being mugged and me, I will go and save them. You hear the alarm and you conclude the wrong thing. what he's saying here in Proverbs is that there is a serious danger when we hear the alarms we're supposed to hear, we hear the warnings we're supposed to hear, and we don't act in accordance with the warnings. We don't act in accordance with the warnings. So whether it's a fire alarm, and we're all standing right next to the building, or a panic alarm, and nobody panics, even though sometime it's somebody should, or whether it's the Bible telling us these are life-or-death decisions, nobody Here's what I mean. If you were, say, 50 years ago in the church, the big question that we, a pastor, would have to answer for you is, is the Bible true? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Is that verifiably true? Or is it not true? And there's other ways to heaven or there's multiple uh, texts that we can trust. That would be the central question is, is it true or is it not true? Our generation, frankly, does not care. That's not the question anymore. You could be in this room, think the Bible is true, think that Jesus is who he says he is, and it just doesn't matter. It's just not compelling. So the, the question 50 years ago, is Is it true or is it not true? The question now is, is it beautiful or is it common? Is it worth living your life for, or is it just something that kind of gets in your way you don't really like? And there we are again, hearing the alarms of God's Word, trying to get our attention and we just don't care. It's like, yeah, I hear the alarm. It's probably not a fire. It's probably not panic mode. It's probably not a big deal if I don't listen. Do you see that? How God's Word gives us warnings of how we're supposed to live. Wisdom is the skill in godly living. God's word gives us wisdom, the skill in godly living, and we just miss the alarms. We don't act in accordance with the alarms. Let's do this quickly. Let's talk through what the danger is in disobedience. Nobody likes the word obedience. The only time I like the word obey is when I am saying it to my children, and even then they don't do anything. But nobody likes that. In our, our Western culture, in, our, in the sense that we don't want any authority over us at all, in our American, I can do it on my own, we don't want anyone telling us what to do. And that's why obedience is so difficult is we think it's somebody telling us something that we don't want to do. And the Bible here is saying you have to reframe that to care about that. You will never care If you think that the Bible is something telling you to do something that you don't want to do. So he says, first thing is don't forget. Don't grow cold. The dangers in disobedience is that you'll forget and grow cold. Look with me in verses 1 through 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. The first danger is that we will forget and that we will grow cold. We will forget. Now what he means in context is God has done all of these incredible things for his people. You know that from creation itself to choosing a people who did not deserve it to rescuing that people from Egypt and bringing them into their own land that God has done all of these faithful things and yet the people of God tend to forget. And you and I are like that too. Haven't you been in places in your life where you were pleading with God, God, if you don't intervene, if you don't show up right now, if you don't do this, if you don't give us this thing, we're not gonna make it. And friends, you're still here. There are things that God has done in the past that we we have such a short-term memory for. And we sort of mix this up. The Bible says we're supposed to have a huge memory for what God has done and a tiny memory for the mistakes that we have made. Paul says, forgetting what is behind me, straining towards what is ahead. So a huge memory for God's faithfulness and a short-term memory for the things that we have done wrong. Some of you have seen the show Ted Lasso. It's a phenomenal show, but I can't commend it to everybody because it's got some really rough language to it. But it's this positive, encouraging show because Ted is this optimist and he wants his team to do well. He wants to encourage them. And so at one point, Ted has this left back, this left fullback who's not playing to his full potential and in fact at one point during practice he sort of kicks the ball straight out of bounds and he says Sam come over here a minute and Sam walks over and Sam starting to apologize before he even gets there and he says I'm so sorry coach and he goes Sam do you know what the happiest animal on earth is Sam sort of looks at him at practice and goes no and he says it's a goldfish you know why he says, no. And he says, goldfish has a 10-second memory, Sam. Be a goldfish, Sam. Be a goldfish. And that's what we have gotten wrong, is that we rehearse the things that we should not rehearse, our mistakes, our shames, our embarrassments, and we don't rehearse the things that we're supposed to rehearse of God's faithfulness in our suffering, God's faithfulness to us even amidst our sin, and we've got it reversed. And that's what I want you to focus on is that if you want to have a new respect and appreciation for obedience, what he calls you to do is have a huge litany and history of things that he has done for you in the past. When you remember that, you will say, this person has my love. This person has my worship. This person has been good to me. And so even now when I don't understand this or even now when I don't like this, I will obey. Because I have seen the kind of God that I serve from the past. You see, we focus on our mistakes and forget his faithfulness. And it says we're supposed to forget our mistakes and focus on his faithfulness. So the first danger in disobedience is just forgetting God's goodness to you. And growing cold. There's a scene in, in Joshua where God has rescued his people from 400 years of slavery and brought them out of Egypt and cross over the Red Sea and then crash the Red Sea down onto the enemy, the most powerful enemy in the entire world. And then they've wandered in the desert, desert for 40 years and God has finally brought them into the Promised Land, crossing the Jordan River. And again, I don't even know if some of you remember this. I was reminded this week even there, he has the walls build, the waters build up into walls, and they walk across on dry land, and then he has the water crash down again. So two different times. And this is what happens. And Joshua set up at Gilgal, the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan, and he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did this to Jordan for what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. What are the stones in your life which you have placed to say, I will not forget his goodness to me? Maybe it's people. Maybe it's a memento of some kind that draws you back and reminds you when it was dark, God drew near and brought light. When I was sinning, God forgave me and gave me hope. What are the remembrances, the Ebenezers in your life that says, I can trust God despite everything I'm experiencing in the present and everything I'm afraid of in the future, I can trust God. Remember who God is if you want to grow in your love and obedience. Where has God carried you when you didn't think it were possible? Let that that drive your obedience. Well, he says, don't forget and don't grow cold, but he also says, don't be sufficient. Sorry, don't be self-sufficient and don't be self-selective. Look with me in verses 5 through 8. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So he tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge him and he will set our paths straight. We think as believers, as Christians who've been at this a while, that the longer we've been a Christian, the less dependent we should be on God for wisdom. And the author here says just the opposite. The one who is mature in their faith is more and more dependent upon God in all things. He says, you're supposed to feel needy. One of my mentors says, everybody thinks the feeling of faith is strength. when in reality, the feeling of faith is weakness. Let me say that again. Everybody thinks the feeling of faith is strength. When in reality, the feeling of faith is weakness. When you see your God topple down walls of water to protect you and bring you into a promised land, you don't conclude, wow, how strong we must be. You conclude, wow, we are nothing. We are bankrupt, but look at our God. You see how that works? When you start to feel weak in your faith, it's actually the correct realization that you can't make it on your own you can't do it on your own you can't think it through on your own you're growing when you think i can't do this alone that's why obedience becomes a measure of your understanding of just how incapable you are of, ru- of ruling your life and you say god so you teach me you lead me you guide me i want more of you and less of me because i don't trust me god and i trust you When we start to choose the parts of the Bible that we like and ignore the parts that we don't like. Pastor Salter said this, selective dependence leads to selective obedience. Meaning when there are areas in your life that you say, I'm not going to trust God for this. I'm not going to go all in with him on this. It's going to start showing up in your life of, I'm not going to obey him in this. I'm not going to obey him in this. And all of us have that. All of us, me too, have these areas in our life. I'll trust you to be the, the rescuer of my sin and my forgiver. I do not trust you to be my king because I want to have fun. All of us have areas like that. What are those areas in your life where you are trusting in God for something but not something else, and it's driving disobedience in your life. And then he says, Don't be selfish. Verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord your God with wealth and with first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He's saying, Don't be selfish. The dangers of disobedience is that you'd forget and grow cold, that you'd get self sufficient, that you would get selfish. Selfish that you gather up what God brings to you and call it yours instead of share it graciously. That's why we give ourselves away with our money. but We also give away our time and our talents to the city is because what we're saying is God gave this for us to a, for a reason. And the reason is not just me. So we're not selfish. And then we don't despise God's loving discipline. And nobody likes talking about this. But glance with me in verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as the Father, the Son in whom he delights. What he's saying there is that when you struggle and when you suffer and when you're not sure why, that you are tempted to conclude that God must not love me because he has taken this from me. God must not be fond of me because I'm struggling with this. God has not answered my prayer yet, and so he must not like me. And the scripture tells us the exact opposite. It tells us that God's, God moves towards those who are his. And sometimes that means moves towards discipline to grow us, to shape us, to teach us that dependence upon him. But the idea is the fact that God is locked into giving attention to his own and so the next time that you're struggling or you're suffering or you're confused be reminded that that's exactly what God's children are so supposed to feel like when we're being disciplined by God and that he loves us and he's doing this because he wants what is best for us one of my dear friends in town he told me what it was like when he spanked his kids And he said he'll explain to them what they've done wrong. And then he'll give them a pop on the rear end. And he said then they burst into tears and they jump into his arms. And wrap their arms around his neck. And they let him comfort them. What a beautiful picture. Is that he disciplines them because he loves them. He wants what's best for them. And when he disciplines them, they run to him. When I spank my five children, not all at once, but you know, measure it out. When I spank my five children, I explain to them what they've done, and I pop them on the rear end, and they fight, and they run out of the room, and they say, you must hate me. I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. But I like my friend's picture much better. When God is taking you through things that you don't understand, Remember that He is doing that so that your hand will close more tightly on His hand and that you'll know that it's there when you need it. We're not supposed to despise God's loving discipline, as the Bible says. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He says, walk away from evil things. Fear the Lord, honor Him. He's saying, you want to know how life works? Do what God says to do. You want to see how you're supposed to live, how you can bless others and find peace for yourself? Do what God wants us to do. But see, we, this generation, has said, we want the good life. We want the life that feels like it's supposed to feel. We just don't want to do what God wants us to do. And he's saying those things are mutually exclusive. You cannot do it your own way. And experience the life that God meant you to experience. So we avoid forgetting and growing cold. We avoid selfishness and self-sufficiency. We avoid resentment towards God when we're struggling. We put our trust in the Lord with all our heart. We lean not on our own understanding. And then we see this, the results of obedience. What will happen to you if you trust God's way instead of your way? Well, he says years, peace, and prosperity. It means you're supposed to have this full life. And he's not promising that every time you obey God, you're going to get a million dollars. That's the prosperity gospel, which is not true at all. What he's saying is you live God's life the way God wants you to live it. God will bless your path. He says that you will be able to live a life, trust in the Lord, that has a straight path. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight it doesn't always mean that he'll do what we want him to do but it does mean as we look at him we will know what to do next so he gives us a full life not a perfect life but a full life and he gives us uh, trust that he can guide our stories and that we don't have to And then he gives us this promise of of wisdom. Look again in 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who would call her blessed. The result of obedience is that you grow in the skill of godly living. That the more that you try to follow God, the better you'll get at it. We want to be zapped into following God well. And he says, as one has said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's going to take your whole life long. But that it will give us wisdom, this godly sense. And part of why we don't like to obey is we think obedience is boring. Obedience is not fun. Obedience is not a party. It's like we could live our lives and do what we want and experience all that we had or we could follow God. Wow, And he says you have to transform, you have to reframe the way you think about obedience as, as this beautiful thing to be treasured, that you want to follow God, not because you have to, because you get to. That being near to God is more dear to you than anything else. Last night, the group of bridesmaids were praying over the bride And they're praying these wonderful, sweet prayers. And we normally go in there, and I go in after everybody's all ready. And we take a picture, and we pray over the bride. We do the same thing for the groom. And last night, normally the bride and the groom don't pray. They're just kind of basking in the moment. Last night, the bride prayed. We're all sitting there having prayed for her, and she speaks up, which surprised me. And all of a sudden, she said, God... no matter matter what happens with my life or with my marriage, let me always know that you are enough for me. That no matter what things come, that you are enough for me. Can you imagine godliness like that where you are on the best day of your life and all you can think about is that You want what God wants for you. You want to experience God in the fullest of ways. And there we are all in tears because this person, this woman understood that no matter what life trials will bring her, and we know that they will bring her a lot of trials, that she wants God to be her source and her strength. Now you tell me obedience is boring when you hear something like that. God would be her strength. Why would wisdom bring such peace? It says in there over and over again that her ways, wisdom's ways are of pleasantness and all all her paths are peace. What that means is is that when you follow God the way that he calls you to follow him, you will have this sense that life is working the way that it's supposed to because even though you don't like it and you may not understand it, God is leading you. And then this last thing, and we'll close here. What's that reference in verse 18? The tree of life to those who lay hold of her, those who hold fast are called blessed. She's a tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life. What that is referencing is that in the Garden of Eden, God put two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And essentially, he told Adam and Eve, do not touch the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, for you will surely die. And what does the devil do? He says, are you sure you'll die? Ultimately, obedience and disobedience comes down to that moment where somebody says, I will believe what God says, even when it doesn't make sense to me, or I will not believe in God, and it will lead me to death. And he says, if you follow God, Jesus, you will be a tree of life. You'll be giving out wisdom and goodness and sacrifice for others. Your life will exist for the sake of those around you. It's a tree of life. You could go back to how it was supposed to be when you're living a godly life. But ultimately, that's not the most important tree it's not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it's not the tree of life ultimately the tree that's supposed to transform everything for us as far as our obedience and desires is the tree that Jesus hung on Jesus took the short life so that yours would be long Jesus took poverty so that you could be rich Jesus gave up favor with man and God so that you would be loved and welcomed at God's table Jesus took the hard path, the crooked path, the deadly path, so that your path would be made straight. Just before Aaron and I were engaged, I was on vacation with my family, and she was back in Pennsylvania, and she was on a quad ride, uh, for non-Pennsylvania-speak, that's four-wheeler. She was on a quad ride with her brother, and they were at the top of a hill, and the brakes went out, and so she was pulling on the brake, or he was pulling on the brakes, her brother, and nothing was happening, and he realizes if we keep going down this hill, we're going to be going 60 miles per hour and hit a tree, and we're both going to die, and so he knows I have to roll this quad, four-wheeler, even though it's going to hurt, and so sort of warns Aaron that it's coming over his shoulder, and then he rolls this quad so that they don't continue to pick up momentum. Aaron smacks her head on a rock, breaks her arm, and she has short-term amnesia. They rush her to the hospital, and in the hospital, the short-term amnesia is about 10 seconds long, like a goldfish. And the question that she keeps asking, because I'm away and on vacation with my family in a different state, is does Jared still love me? Why is Jared not here? Does Jared still love me? And at first, her family's really supportive. Yes, Jared still loves you. He's just out of town. He's going to get back to you as you can. And she'd go, okay, okay. Does Jared still love me? And literally every 10 seconds, all night, to her dad and brother. Eventually, they call me, and they're like, hey, man, we need your help. <laughs> this is getting old so I say I got you so I send a text to her brother's phone it says Aaron I still love you love Jared and she'd be laying there in the dark of the ER and spring up and say does Jared still love me and her brother would be like go back to bed 10 seconds later does Jared still love me On this path, with your sin combined with the sufferings that God will call you to go through, you will ask the question over and over again, does God still love me? Can I count on him? Is he really for me in the midst of this? With all that is stacked up against us, can I really believe that God is worth loving? And he gives us scriptures. And he gives us a son and he gives us the cross to say, I still love you. Just look at my son. Let's pray. Jesus, we would rather do it our way than your way. Help us begin, begin to start understanding that your ways are better than our ways. And when we don't like it and we don't understand it, we can put our trust in you because of all that you've done in the past in Christ and all that you have planned for our future. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Your ways are better than our ways. And when we don't like it and we don't understand it, we can put our trust in you because of all that you've done in the past in Christ, and all that you have planned for our future. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.